if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed an hour number two is underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock on this Friday, the ninth morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. And we're going to pivot once again now to another extraordinarily crucial issue that you should be aware of. And I don't care if you don't have kids in school right now. If you have younger-ish, you know, teenage kids or kids in their 20s that are going to have their own kids, your grandkids one day, you better be paying attention to what is going on in our schools. I know so many people who say, my kids are graduated, I'm good. Really? What about their kids? You might not be good because they might not be good because our Ohio schools curriculum is in serious, serious jeopardy. And I'm talking about the traditional curriculum, uh, including American history and American new history revised according to the rules of Black Lives Matter and the 1619 Project. Joining us now, as we have uh, talked in the past with these two people about this issue, is uh, Lisa Woods. Lisa Woods is a member of the Ohio State Board of Education, and uh, she, along with Sarah Fowler, joined us a couple of weeks back prior to a school board meeting, a state school board meeting about this curriculum. Uh, and uh, good to have you back, Lisa. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thanks. And uh, Peter Kersenow, who, of course, joins us every Tuesday. He's a, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights and a Cleveland attorney. He is also fighting very, very hard against some of the curriculum that is being proposed. Pete, good to have you. How are you? Thanks very much, Bob. Doing well. And thanks so much for having us on. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. As you've described, even if you don't have kids in school, this really goes just beyond kids and your grandkids and your relatives' kids or your neighbors' kids. If you want to see on streets across the country the kind of reaction you saw on the streets this summer, then go ahead and just, you know, eat your oatmeal and don't be concerned about what's going on in the schools with respect to the 1619 Project. But if you care about America's future, this is something that is so pernicious, so invidious, this is, this is toxic, and it's being introduced across the country. But now what we see is there's a great danger that this may proliferate throughout the Ohio school system. Yeah, uh, you know, Pete, I'm glad you said it that way because that was going to be my next follow up. And Lisa will go to you with this. It's, it's not just, and we'll get specifics in a moment. And the reason we're doing this today is because Monday and Tuesday this coming week, so just after the weekend, uh, there will be another Ohio State Board meeting. Um, 
Lisa, it's not just about the kids. It's about what the kids become when they're adults. It's about, you know, what Pete just said, radicalism and racial division, uh, unlike anything we've seen since the Civil Rights Act was passed, and maybe even before that. Um, the type of racial division that we're talking about here is, is being taught. Little black kids are being taught, little black and brown kids are being taught that they are forever victims of an ultra, uh, white supremacist society, and little white kids are being told that they are oppressors of their little black kid friends, uh, and they don't even know it. They can't help it because it's in their DNA. This is gonna manifest itself in angry adults leading to some extraordinarily, uh, damaging relations. Uh, and, and damage to our society in, in the coming decades. So it's not just about right now. This is about setting the course for the future, and I know that's why it's important to you. It really is, Bob, and thanks. You, you described it per- perfectly. Um, this is poison to our kids' brains. Um, this should not be taught. We need to go back to the basics and make sure that we're doing what we need to do to get those kids with their, their basic fundamental skills but instead we, we're, we're going to shame them, we're going to anger them, um, make them feel like victims at an early age, which is toxic, absolutely toxic. Lisa, where do we stand right now um, on the resolution that we discussed a couple of weeks back? Um, I know there was a lot of public testimony given. I know that Mike uh, Goldstein was there. I know that Kathy Johnson was there and a whole bunch of other people trying to warn the board about allowing uh, schools, you know, by the because I think the board's stance on this is we don't dictate curriculum. Um, it's up to the school districts to do. But what we need is for the board to say, hey, there has to be restrictions on curricula given to these various, you know, districts that might choose to teach this stuff. So where do we stand after the last meeting and the last testimony that was given? Well, I certainly think we're closer, but we need a little more. Um, they still refuse to remove the 1619 project as an accepted curriculum on the website. So if you go to the the Ohio Department of Education, the website, it, you know, it's still there after you make a few clicks. Um, that is what we're trying to get them to take off. And also, you know, to, to admit that, that, uh, that resolution that was passed, I mean, it is a political agenda, but they refuse to admit that. And, um, you know, we're hoping to pull that back, get that horse back in the barn so that we can go on to meaningful things. It's been a terrible distraction. You know, we're so close to really making great changes in education, and then, you know, this goes forward at a time where we have very important issues. We're discussing the budget, um, the accountability issues, things that um, we can really help with literacy in Ohio, but instead, you know, we're, we're, we're adding more bureaucratic work by putting in, you know, this type of resolution, which is going to make people do a lot more work combing through things. And, and these are things that we were already doing. If you look at the resolution, um, making sure that there's not racist questions in our testing and things like that, this was something that we have been doing all along. That's not new. We, we would absolutely stand against any type of racism that we thought. We, we're, we are against bullying, and this resolution 
is bully-ish, you know, when you look at it. And, well, what's, um, what's, what's frustrating here, if I may, Lisa, let me jump in and get Pete in, too. Um, what's frustrating here is what you're talking about. You know, of course, nobody would approve of racism in the questions or in any context of curriculum, but, but the question is, is who gets to define what racism is? And Pete, just as an example, and I know this is not K-12 through what we're talking about, but just to throw, throw this out there, a professor of higher education at Ohio State uh, a couple of weeks ago wrote an article talking about how much we need college football back for normalcy. He loves college football, so do millions of Americans, and it transcends all of the problems between us, Republicans and Democrats, both wearing Ohio State shirts, can high-five one another, and blah, blah, blah. He had to write an apology, a groveling apology for his racist, white supremacist attitude because he wanted college football to come back. Because it makes black people perform in uniforms for his enjoyment without regard for their safety. This is the, so that's called racist. And if those people get to define what racism is, there is no amount of, 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 you know, curriculum, 1619 project or otherwise that is going to satisfy them. The problem here is the Soviet approach. That's not an overstatement. I'm involved in a number of these in, in, uh, situations throughout the country. And what you just described is perfectly encapsulated in what's going on in Loudoun County Public Schools right now. That's one of the wealthiest school districts in the, in the country. There's a Trump golf course there. They, they contacted me with respect to the 1619 Project and what's going on there. And listen to this. Part of the requirements under the 1619 Project taught there is that no teachers may criticize critical race theory. Now, there's a real question under Supreme Court uh, jurisprudence, Garcetti versus Ceballos and others, whether or not there's a First Amendment abridgment there. But nonetheless, that's where we get. We're squelching debate. You may not criticize critical race theory, which is one of the most toxic ideologies imaginable, and just sheer lunacy. When you read it, you say, like, who put this thing together? It has no bearing in logic or fact. But we are on the cusp of being there in Ohio, Bob, because of Resolution 20 is the premise behind which 1619 and similar ilk like critical race theory, they're all one of the same, are introduced. It happened in Santa Barbara County, uh, Santa Barbara schools in California. Parents there filed a lawsuit, but they were overwhelmed by major law firms that were financed by who knows what, but huge financing. And the folks there didn't have enough money to challenge this, so they had to voluntarily dismiss for the moment their lawsuit. But if you look at the lawsuit, the declarations attached thereto are bewildering, astonishing, almost nightmarish. Kids coming home crying, saying, why do Hispanic kids hate me? Or why am I, I being um, punished for being black? Or, you know, all these things, it, it sows racial division right. on a scale that we have not seen in probably in our lifetimes easily. And more importantly, Bob, all of this toxic uh, instruction is being done on the premise of uh, the 1619 Project, which is historically flawed. And, and I'm putting that charitably. A letter has Call it what it is, Pete. By, it's fiction. It, it's fiction. It, it truly is. It's propaganda. A letter has just been issued by the National Association of Scholars saying that the Pulitzer Committee needs to withdraw the Pulitzer that was given to Hannah Nicole Jones for this thing because she admitted it's not history. The foundational premise behind it is that the United States was founded and organized to protect and preserve slavery. That's utter science 
historical fiction. It should be science fiction. Yeah, right. It's but a little bit of both. But that's where except... we are today. If you go to Loudoun County, if you go to Santa Barbara, if you go to a host of other jurisdictions who already have critical race theory or 1619 project instruction, you will find complete chaos, but more importantly, racial division on steroids. Right. And we have to stop it in the state of Ohio. That's why we're talking to Lisa Woods from the Board of Education and Peter Kirsten. Now, uh, can both of you hang on for one more short segment after this timeout? Thanks, Bob. Sure can. Okay, please do that. Hold on for one more short segment because I'm going to talk not only about the impact on these kids, but also on the teachers, which is very devastating as well. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, uh, 1024, I think we're back on. Uh, 1024, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with Peter Kersenow and uh, Lisa Woods. Lisa is a member of the State Board of Education in Ohio. Peter, of course, is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Lisa, I wanted to pivot back to you after what Pete was just talking about, about the danger for the students, and talk about the kids, too. Part of Item 20, or excuse me, Resolution 20, uh, includes the following. Further resolved that the State Board of Education shall require training for all state employees and contractors working with the Department of Education, so in other words, teachers, to identify their own implicit biases so that they can perform their duties to the citizens of Ohio without unconscious racial bias. I just sit here just so seething at that, at the, at the, at the suggestion that it's automatic. You have racial bias. You don't even know it. You're unconscious. It's unconscious to you. It's not something you even realize, but because you have white skin, you have a racial bias. And that is just extraordinary. What a thing to tell teachers. We cannot trust you to act on your own accord with morals and ethics and, and, and non-bias and, and non-prejudiced, uh, you know, discipline policies and educational standards and so on and so forth. We have to teach you to stop being as so racist that you don't even know that you are. How can anybody possibly think this is okay? It's not okay. And, and it's, it's interesting to know that that resolution passed on July 14th, and then by August 4th, we all received a uh, communication from our governor saying that uh, uh, we must embrace this and that there's a new statewide um, implicit bias training for all government employees. So that includes the teachers. Now, we're elected members, at least 11 of us are, and so we're not required to take this, but we had, we did have a session at the last meeting and I, I watched it and I really was amazed at how truly useless it was. Um, and this is, this is what our governor is now pushing us to do and all of our teachers. Peter, your thoughts on that? Because again, I, 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 yeah. I, it's it's beyond my comprehension. If you are dictating to teachers that because, and by the way, it didn't say anything about black or white. It said all. Uh, but, uh, but we have been told by people like Black Lives Matter and the 1619 Project founders that 
white people are the only people that can be racist. If you are black or brown, you cannot be a racist because you are not in power. Only people in positions of power can be racist. So only whites can be racist. So I read this resolution saying, white teachers, you will be unracisted by our training. And if you don't take that training, you cannot teach our kids because your racism will shine through. Your thoughts? Yeah, Bob, there's no mystery to this. It's not implicit in there. It's not, it's not simply something you need to imagine. It is in the materials themselves. You can look at the training materials themselves where they say whites are inherently racist. There are videotapes of some of these trainings where whites are told just that. They are racist because they are white. It's that clear. It's, it's unimaginable. But people are sitting through these trainings under penalty of being disciplined if they don't do them. In addition to that, these are extremely lucrative. Your individual school districts that are starving for for funds for reading, writing, arithmetic, new books, etc. In Loudoun County, for example, the training they're paying for costs them $422,500 for that kind of training to tell teachers, white teachers, that they are racist and need to make amends for that. This is extremely important. I can't emphasize enough. Bob, you and I have been talking for years and years about all kinds of issues. This is one of the top issues right now. It's something where, uh, all due respect, your listenership, if they have even 15 seconds, pick up a phone, get on email, do whatever, contact anybody in a position of authority. I don't even care who it is. Preferably, of course, the State Board of Education, preferably a governor, preferably a state rep, and just simply say something as simple as no to Resolution 20, no to 1619. I encourage people to go online, just Google critical race theory and some of the materials that you will see that are currently in public schools that have adopted this outside of Ohio, this is coming to a school near you. When you read those materials, you'll be aghast. Most people, 99.999% of people are completely oblivious to what's going on right now. What's going on right now in schools across the country is an attempt to divide on the basis of race. This is an overt attempt. It's not a conspiracy theory. And it there have been at least two major studies that have shown that these kinds of trainings, in addition to being completely historically inaccurate, you're supposed to be teaching the truth and facts. Aside from all that, what it does is it creates precisely what we've been talking about, hostility between races. And for kids, kids have been coming home crying. They're distressed. Parents have been keeping their kids home from school because of the psychological damage that's been caused. I mean, kids as young as six, seven years old are being told this, this kind of stuff. It is truly extraordinary what's happening. And for black parents, if you think somehow this excludes black kids, that kid, black kids aren't being affected by this, I cannot think of anything more invidious or pernicious than to tell someone that because of the color of your skin, no matter what you do, the, the DAC is stacked the deck is stacked against you. That racism will prevent you from succeeding. And also, on the other hand, giving you a ready-made excuse for failure. So if you don't get an A on an exam, if you don't get to be a member of a particular uh, debate squad or something like that, you can have a ready-made fallback excuse that has been instructed in you, uh, uh, to you by, by teachers and others who, who say, well, you know, America is inherently racist, whites have privilege, and anyone looking for an excuse has one right there, and it, it, um, 
inhibits success. It provides all kinds of reasons for why you should be angry and and dejected and disappointed, and it perpetuates the kind of mentality we see on the streets of the United States over the last four months. Right. Peter Kersenow, thank you so much. Very well stated. It's extraordinarily important. Lisa Woods, I know, is going to battle again on Monday as a part of the Ohio School Board. I really wish you the very best in uh, arguing on behalf of rational uh, common sense and racial unity rather than this racial division. Lisa and Peter, thank you both very much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. You got it. Thank you both. It is now 1032, so we're a little late. We'll come back. Aaron Perrine of the uh, Trump-Pence 2020 Advisory Council will be joining us next on AM 1420, The Answer. Trigger and Kirk. Back to back at noon on The Answer. Good stuff from Prager and Kirk back to back. Really good stuff. Last half hour from Lisa Woods and Peter Kirstenau as well. Extraordinarily important. Call the Ohio School Board of Education, please. Like I said, it's not just about today's current students. We are talking about uh, literally the next generation or two to come that are going to be impacted by this type of uh, education, this type of curriculum, if it is allowed in these schools. All right, let's go back to uh, presidential politics now. Joining us to talk about the latest, uh, as we are just 20, what, five days away, I think it is, from the presidential election, is Erin Perrine. She is a senior advisor to Trump-Pence 2020. Joining us now at AM 1420, The Answer. Erin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Hope y'all are doing well. We are uh, really well. Uh, so many things going on now with respect to this election. It is just, I mean, to call this, uh, you know, the silly season is beyond uh, anything we've ever seen before right now. I mean, that's an understatement. Let's start with the debate commission. Aaron, what, what was your response? I heard the president's response, and he's a thousand percent right. He is not going to participate in um, uh, a virtual debate, one in which Joe Biden, who has in a, a professional history of lying and cheating, in his professional career. And I'm talking about everything from plagiarizing speeches, plagiarizing written documents, to lying about his education, his academic standings, his places he's been. He has been, you know, dishonest in his dealings with the public for 47 years in public office. I cannot blame the president for not wanting him to be able to use cue cards, laptops, uh, teleprompters, or even just hand signals or earpieces if he's allowed to do a debate from his little cocoon. Aaron, um, what, what was your reaction to that uh, demand by the uh, commission? Well, it was extremely disappointing to see the debate commission make such a one-sided unilateral decision without saying anything. Our campaign found out about the debate commission's decision to take this to a virtual uh, debate in the in the news. We were getting press inquiries about it before we even heard from the presidential debate commission. I mean, we know they're biased. We know that it's full of never Trumpers and people who have openly uh, expressed disdain for the president. We know it's not unbiased. We've known that, but. We have been willing to negotiate and willing to have a conversation. And the president's right, and you're, and you're right as well. Joe Biden has a history of using teleprompters. I mean, his staff won't even acknowledge the fact that, yes, he uses teleprompters. He uses help. Why would we give him that advantage? Why would we give him the opportunity to cheat and lie to the American people about his ability to even answer a question? I mean, why do you think we were pushing to see if 
Joe Biden had an earpiece, something a listening device in his ear before the last debate. They agreed to do it, and then they backtracked on it because we actually have concerns about whether or not he can handle answering the questions on his own. And listen, if Joe Biden can't, then he shouldn't be running for president. This should be a transparent process. It should be a fair process. And thus far, it has not been. I want to stay on this, and I want to talk about Steve Scully, the um, uh, the moderator for the second debate, if there is to be one in a moment. But I have to ask you this, Aaron, since you just brought up that whole earpiece uh, discussion prior to the first debate. The president has been criticized, even in conservative supporters' circles, for being a little bit over the top in terms of interrupting uh, Vice President Biden. Some have said, and this is what I want you to respond to, and you can choose to do it any way that you want, is that the reason he was doing that is because he did not trust that Joe Biden did not have a listening device or an earpiece. And the more he talked while Joe Biden was trying to talk, the less Joe Biden could hear his speechwriters giving him his cues in his ears. Can you speak to that at all? Or is that just is that conspiracy stuff? I have never heard that um, whatsoever. But but listen, we've all seen Joe Biden debate. And the fact that he showed Uh, such kind of a lackluster performance was on Joe Biden, not on the president, right? We remember in 2012 when Joe Biden uh, was in the VP debate versus Paul Ryan and how he kept, as soon as Paul Ryan said anything, he kept interjecting and kept jumping in and kept interrupting. You saw it during the Democrat debate process as well during the primary this this cycle. You saw him interrupt and interject and, and try to get in the middle of things and so the president was ready for that. And, it, it, you know, Joe Biden just wasn't ready for the president to not uh, let him uh, try and steamroll the conversation. Yeah, no, that is very, very important. No question about it. I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that, because it would make some sense to me. If he was afraid that Biden was listening to somebody else off stage through his earpiece, the more he talked, the less he could hear him. And that would be a part of the strategy. Now, to this particular debate, last thing on this, Steve Scully, we know the story. He was a Biden intern, but some say he's been a very, very fair minded, you know, uh, host on the Washington Journal and a C-SPAN personality and so forth. But his Twitter feed tells a different story. He has been a never Trumper. He has reached tweeted never trump messaging he has retweeted plenty of positive joe biden messaging and more importantly yesterday we saw him tweet what many people think was supposed to be a direct message to anthony scaramucci asking for advice on how he should handle president trump anthony scaramucci of course was fired by the president and is one of the president's fiercest critics now how can we possibly think about going forward with this guy at the controls yeah, I mean, it's clear that, unfortunately, you know, Steve Scully is not an unbiased individual. He has shown his bias and has shown that apparently he doesn't know necessarily how Twitter works uh, to to say that he wants Anthony Scaramucci's advice on the president. Because let me tell you, there's no bigger failure than Anthony Scaramucci. That guy worked in the White House for not even two weeks before he was fired. I mean, I've got to be I've got to be more successful in Trump world with how long I've been around than Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, I've been around since March of last year. He was an abject failure. And so it's really disappointing to see that even when they think they can find an unbiased individual, there really is no such thing. And, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're calling it out. We've been calling it out the whole time. And we've been calling it out on the Presidential Debate Commission as well on their on their bias against the president. We've, we've highlighted their never Trumper comments and, and how they've donated to Democrats before. Um, and, you know, this is this is more of the swamp. This is the swamp trying to rise up and take down President Trump. 
We're talking to Erin Perrine. She's the senior advisor to the Trump-Pence 2020 campaign. I'm going to ask you about this exchange between Joe Biden and some reporters yesterday. I'll know my opinion in court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. You'll know my opinion on court packing after the election. Because if I tell you now, you'll all write about it. Uh, what what did we just hear, Aaron? Well, what we just heard was the fact that we've known what Joe Biden was going to do, and that is pack the Supreme Court of the United States. His refusing to answer it, if he doesn't want to make news, if he doesn't want to have a headline out there, uh, maybe he shouldn't be running for president of the United States. You're going to make news. And how you treat a co-equal branch of government That should be something you should be unafraid to answer. But the answer is yes. And this is a Democrat tactic time and again. They don't like the outcome. They don't like how the American people have decided an outcome. What do they do? They try to change the rules. And what does that mean? It means things like packing the Supreme Court. It means things like trying to end the filibuster. It means things like trying to get rid of the Electoral College. So time and again, Democrats don't want to answer the question because they know the question. They know the answer. And the answer is going to be yes, we want to undermine an entire third of the federal government, of of the co-equal branches of government, by upending it because we don't like the way that it has decided so far in our favor. So we're going to try and upend it. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg said nine. Every Democrat in the Senate, including Chuck Schumer, has said nine. It is an unpopular opinion even among Democrats. It's only the far extreme of that party that wants that to happen. Kamala has said she wants to pack the Supreme Court. She's his VP nominee. It's clear that's where they're going. Uh, we're talking with Aaron Perrine, uh, uh, the uh, senior advisor, a senior advisor, rather, for uh, Trump-Pence 2020. I'm going to go back to the vice presidential debate from Wednesday night. And that very same question about court packing came up. Uh, and you can speak more broadly on uh, the performance of Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. I-, I feel like this was a much more important vice presidential debate than really any other I've heard. No disrespect to Mike Pence and Tim Kaine when they went at it or anybody else going back. But I- I- I'm a believer. In the Trojan horse theory, I think Joe Biden is not going to be long for that office if he was to win. And Kamala Harris is the president in waiting. So she needs to be vetted like a presidential candidate. And as a presidential candidate, I thought she was horrible when she was in the primaries, which is why she dropped out on December 3rd of last year. She never even made it into this year, the election year with her campaign. But I thought she was, we saw why on Wednesday night. So speak specifically, or excuse me, excuse me, generally on that, Aaron, but then specifically, she also refused to answer the court packing question and then said, by the way, speaking of packing the courts, how come Trump hasn't nominated, nominated any blacks to the, uh, uh, the, the, the circuit courts, uh, or I think it was courts of appeals that he talked about? That's her idea of court packing. Yeah, she, uh, she very clearly would not answer the question on whether or not she would pack the Supreme Court. I myself don't understand that strategy. I don't know what they think they get out of it, but it's clear. She is not ready for prime time. It's clear why the media wants to try and fawn over her and prop her up because she's a radical socialist. She is. And the vice president did an exceptional job pointing that out, pointing out not only her hypocrisy, but the fact that she wasn't being honest with the American people. I mean, the vice president said, listen, Kamala, you want to talk about truth? Let's be honest here and pushed her time and again in a way that we had not seen. 
she's not a great candidate. She's not that great of a debater. And the vice president made it very clear that Kamala is not ready for any leadership role uh, in the federal government as president, as vice president. I mean, even Joe Biden said, to your point about her being the potential president, he said she seemed very presidential. Uh, okay. He has even said that it is the Biden hair or the Harris Biden administration. I mean, they very clearly want her to be ready on day one to be one heartbeat away from the presidency. And that should worry every American because she is the most socialist uh, legislator in the United States Senate. Aaron, uh, last thing for you here. We are on August 9th, or August, I don't know where that came from, October 9th, and over 6 million people have already voted, according to what I heard this morning reported. Um, What does that tell you? Is that good news for the president? Is it bad news? Or is, hey, we have no idea who's going out this early? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. We have a ground program and a ground game that has been talking to voters for well over a year now. Uh, knowing how they want to vote, making sure they have access to do so, and then making sure they turn out and turn in their ballots. Listen, the modeling for Democrats isn't great on this. They may have a lot of requests, but they're not getting them in. They're not getting their votes in. And our ability to show up on Election Day, that's what's going to make the difference here. We know who our voters are. We know where they are and how they want to vote. And that's the difference in our ability to get them out. Democrats don't have a ground game to turn around and try to get their ballots back in. That's why they're scrambling to try and build a ground game right now with 25 days to go to the election. That's just not going to work. The pre- I, I lied when I said last question because you were, you, were, uh, you were very efficient in your answer, so I've got a little bit more time here. Uh, the president says he wants to have a rally tomorrow in Florida, and then another one right after that in Pennsylvania. We all know he's coming, of course, off of his uh, coronavirus and his treatments, et cetera. If the doctor gives him the green light, he's going to go ahead and do this. Do you think it's wise, just from an optics point of view, that he's not even 10 days from his diagnosis if he goes out there and has a an in-person event tomorrow? Listen, there's a lot at stake in this election, and we know there's no better voice better champion and better advocate for the Make America Great Again movement than President Trump. And that means we need to be able to do things like get him out there in person. Believe me, if he could have been out there already, he would have been. Uh, The doctors are making sure that he can safely be out there. And listen, the media gets upset no matter what this president does. He makes a speech at Mount Rushmore and they get upset that he does it. They don't want him to talk directly to the American people because they know the American people respond well to it. And that's why they want him to stay Hold up at the White House for as long as they can get him to. But listen, if it's safe to do so, he will be out there. Aaron Perrine, uh, Senior Advisor to Trump-Pence 2020, getting the message out. Terrific stuff. Aaron, thank you so much for the update. I appreciate it. I hope we can have you back. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It is 10.50 now. That gives us time for a few of your phone calls before the top of the hour. If you want to get in before the week ends and the weekend begins... Uh, Dial now, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Right back. Okay, 1054, final segment of the broadcast, final segment of the hour, final segment of the week, actually. And I hope you have a good weekend in front of you. Uh, I want to get a few phone calls in here if you want to make them. 216-901-0945. Jan is in Brexville on AM 1420. The answer. Hi, Jan. Go right ahead. Thank you. Hi, Bob. Uh, I share uh, 
uh, your passion about Resolution 20, uh, getting it repealed, and also the 1619 project being on the Ohio Department of Education site, uh, trying to get that removed. And uh, I know that uh, calling the Board of Education and the Ohio Department of Education, even the governor and the superintendent of the Department of Education in Ohio at the state level is important, but local pushback is also important. I'm urging people to go to their local boards of education, their local curriculum directors, their local superintendents, and find out what's going on with this and how to uh, address what they're doing in the local school systems. And uh, I've been uh, studying this since July and trying to uh, get this, uh, you know, get stirred up in my community. But the other thing, there's uh, an election coming up, and the person who's a District 11 state representative at the board, uh, board state representative is up for re-election. And she is a, a staunch supporter of the 1619 project and thinks there's nothing wrong with it. Her name is Merle Johnson. She needs to be defeated. And the person that should be uh, in her place now is Rocky Neal. If you can, you know, put that out, Rocky Neal is going to be running in that district and I would support him over her, but I, that's not my district. So I can't, of, I don't think I can vote for him. But anyway, um, the uh, the other issue, uh, 1619 Project, who decides what goes on the Ohio Department of Education is a mystery. I've been trying to get to the bottom of this, and no one can answer this. There's only one board member, and her name is uh, State Board Member Jenny Kilgore, who is really going into depth to try and out, trying to find out how this got on our state uh, social studies resource list. And she is not having much success yet either, but I've been in touch with her about it. So if 1619 is going to remain there, something that should be put up there and we can ask for is the 1776 Unites. You've heard of that, I I think, yes? Absolutely I have, yes. And we uh, we have promoted it and will continue to do so. Well, we should ask the board, the the State Board of Education, to put that on at also, along with 16, if they're not going to remove 1619, at least put 1776 Unites up, which is a lot of black scholars who have come up, and they're coming up with their own curriculum to try to teach this in the manner uh, of honesty and truth, uh, as opposed to 1619. And that is something we can no, we you're, you're, you're a thousand percent right here, Jan. And let me jump in because I want to get a couple of other points in before we're done here. And thank you so much for your phone call. Uh, 1776 Unites is wonderful. And you're right. It is almost exclusively African-American scholars who have put together this defense of American history, real American history, and not this fictional version being put forth by the 1619 Project. And we will continue to have members of that, uh, of 1776 Unites boards, uh, uh, board rather, on the program. But I want to say this before we're done here. <clears throat> The board meeting that is happening on Monday and Tuesday in Columbus, the state school board meeting, it's extraordinarily important for you and for all of us, excuse me, to be heard on this matter, but also on another being put forth by the Ohio Values Voters Organization, uh, bringing this to our awareness. There is curricula involved in central Ohio, and in particular in in, uh, Franklin County, being pushed by a group called Sintero which are also often called healthy bodies, healthy futures. This is what they call comprehensive sexual education being presented to both middle school and high schoolers. So kids ages 12, essentially, to 18 or 19, depending upon um, uh, you know when kids get into school. This is pornography. 
at its worst being promoted. I'm not being the pearl-clutching, you know, Bible-toting, oh, this offends, offends my delicate sensibilities. No, 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 no. Listen to me. They are teaching straight-up pornography and pornographic activity to young kids, including middle schoolers. And that is also something the board needs to stop. So if you can do this, please contact the Ohio Board of Education by the time Monday's meeting rolls around. Phone number 877-644-6338. Fight against the 1619 Project and the Centero curricula. It's that important. We'll see you Monday.